Man, what a miracle. God has been, Becky told, uh, uh, and Becky, by the way, you know, I operate under, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. I did not ask permission, but uh, Becky told Laura this morning that there were three times over the past several months that the doctor said she should have been dead. But God, who is a miracle worker and a way maker. And so we're thankful for that this morning. And we love you, Becky. We're glad that you're here. And we're glad the rest of you are here too. Um, but uh, if you brought your, brought your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open them up to Exodus chapter 3. And uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, um, one of the things that we are passionate about around here is we want to make sure that every person has their very own copy of God's Word. So you can open it up anytime you want, and you can allow Him to speak to you through that. So if you don't have one and you'd like one, then do this. When you leave today, stop by. Uh, the table in front of the You Belong Here wall. Pastor Brad will meet you there and we'll get you a Bible. And uh, we've given away hundreds and hundreds of Bibles over the past uh, couple of years. And uh, I think, I think I, we're, we're down. I think we only have maybe a dozen left. So whoever runs first and the fastest gets one. But uh, I think we've got like eight more cases coming today sometimes. So we'll have plenty of more Bibles, but we want you to have one and we'll just give that to you as our gift to you. Uh, but I mentioned uh, this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I love this story that we're going to jump back into. It's the story of Israel's journey from being slaves in Egypt all the way through the desert into freedom in the promised land. And the reason that I love this story so much is because I believe that it kind of paints for us a perfect picture of what God wants to do in your life and my life spiritually. Uh, we, we've all been born as slaves to sin. And, and thankfully, God sent his son, Jesus, as a deliverer to set us free from the power of sin. And, and as awesome as that is, which that is way more awesome than some of you are looking right now, but as awesome as that is, it's not, it, he doesn't stop there. Is that once you surrender your life to Jesus, because God is the God of abundantly more, then he wants to begin to lead you into the promises that he has for you and help you become everything that he created you to be and everything you were destined to be, which, which involves ultimately becoming more like Christ. That's really the goal, Christ-likeness. It also involves us developing into just who we were created to be, uh, who we're destined to be. It involves us becoming vessels of healing and hope and redemption in a world who desperately needs to experience all of those things. And so this morning, as we dive back into this story, what I want to do is I just want to kind of take a little bit of time and look at the person of Moses and uh, if you're a note taker and you need a title for your notes, I, I, I really, I hate coming up with sermon titles. That's one of the things I struggle with. Uh, but if you're a note taker and you want to write this down, I'm calling this sermon, How to Lose Your Big Butt. <laughs> I, I was going to do that thing where you look at your neighbor and say, it's time to lose that butt. But I didn't want any violence going on up in here. So... Uh, husbands, do not look at your wives and say that. I'm telling you, bad idea. 
But uh, just, just to ease your minds, uh, what I'm talking about this morning is, of course, not your uh, B-U-T-T, your derriere, uh, but instead, I want to deal with that, that little negative three-letter uh, conjunction that all of us sometimes use in order to justify why we do certain things and why we can't do other things. Because the reality is, for all of us, there are times when it's our own big butts that keep us from living into and living out what God has for us. So look at your neighbor and say, don't let that butt get in the way. Some of you are not doing it, man. Don't let that butt get in the way. I'm just convinced this morning that there are some that uh, God has been speaking to you. He's been calling you to go deeper in some area of your life, but you're allowing some butt to stand in the way. You know, God, I, I, I really, I would love to serve on that team, but I mean, God, I, I'd love to be more free to lift my hands in worship, but I, I, I'd love to give more for the sake of ministry, but I, I'd love to invite my friends to church, but some of you, and this is going to hit home, but, but oftentimes, you know, some of you are, are like going, you know what, as soon as I heard about the deeper with Rob McCorkle, I would love to attend that, man. I'd love to go deeper. But it's those buts that get in the way. And so often we blame other things, but really, it's really, it's really what we're talking about this morning that prevents us from experiencing the more that God has for us. This is what Moses is dealing with in Exodus chapter 3, okay? So, so God comes to Moses. He calls Moses to do something great. And immediately Moses allows his own butt to get in the way. Most of you know the story of Moses. Moses is born during a time uh, in Israel's history that was just chaotic. The Israelites, they're slaves in Egypt, and in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their slavery, what they don't know is that God is just about to do something incredible. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how God is the God of suddenly, that suddenly, in a moment, God can change things. And God, they don't know this at the time, but God is about to bring them their deliverance that they've been praying for and asking for. They don't know it. But there is somebody who does know it. The, the devil senses that this is coming. Now, now, of course, he doesn't know exactly when it's coming. Or he doesn't know who God is going to use to bring this deliverance about because he's not God. And, and, and sometimes, you know, I, I think that we give the devil way too much credit and way more power than he actually has because there are times we tend to uh, ascribe him the attributes that only belong to God. I, I want you to understand this. God and the devil are not on an equal playing field. Woohoo! Yeah. The, the, it's not like... That, 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 that God and the devil, you know, are involved in, in this kind of this cosmic battle and it's just kind of back and forth and, and sometimes God is winning, but because the devil is so powerful, there's sometimes the devil is winning. No, it's, it's not like that. Listen, whatever battle that God is involved in, 
He's already won it. Whatever battle, he's already won it. Every single battle. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, what were the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross? It is finished. And in that moment, when Jesus spoke those words, one of the things that happened was that the devil was defeated for all of eternity. Now, now our problem is this, is sometimes we forget that he's a defeated foe. So sometimes we just forget that. In fact, in, in Genesis chapter 3, it tells us that um, he may bruise our heel. So he's been given some limited power, and there are some things that he can do. He, he may bruise our heel, but the scripture says we have the power and the authority to crush his head. I mean, come on. You might get a bruised heel once in a while, but you ought to, you ought to crush his head. There are some of us that don't have bruised heels because we ain't crushing any heads. Look at your neighbor and say, crush some heads, man. <laughs> crush some heads. And so the devil is not on the same playing field as God. God is all of the, the omnis. He's, he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. And the devil is none of those things. He, because he's a created being. He was, he's a fallen Angel, He was created by God, who re and he rebelled against God. And so he's none of the things that God is. And so because the devil is not all-knowing, he doesn't really know how or when God is going to move exactly. However, because he does know God pretty well, he, he knows God's character, and because he has thousands of years of experience, one thing that the devil can do is he can discern certain things. He's a pretty good guesser. He, he can discern certain, certain things. In other words, the devil can kind of sense when God is getting ready to do something. He, he can sense when the atmosphere is starting to change a little bit and when things are beginning to shift. Which, which, by the way, so can you. So can I. We've been given the power and the ability because the Holy Spirit lives within us. We've been given the ability to sense and discern when, when God is moving and when the atmosphere is changing. And so if we're sensitive to the Spirit, we can sense the same things. We, we can sense when, when, when God is getting ready to kind of shake some things loose, when he's getting ready to pour something out. And listen, I, I don't know about you, but I'm just telling you, I, I have been having this sense that there is something that is on the verge of breaking loose. Anybody sense that? That there's just something that's on the verge of breaking loose. I've sensed it. And, 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 and in reality, I have begun to see. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. And it's like I begun to, begin to see the droplets of revival that are beginning to fall. It's not, a, it's not a downpour yet, but there are droplets of revival that are, are beginning to fall. And I'm telling you, I sense in my spirit, God is up to something. Last week, Pastor Brad talked about how God has been tangibly at work in the lives of so many of our teens, which, by the way, shout out teens on the front rows, man. <laughs> Woo! 
Love that. We were, we were talking, and, and y'all, y'all can just listen for a second because this ain't for you. It's for these guys. But we talk about you sometimes. And we were talking in staff meeting about you and just your presence here. I don't know if you guys realize it, but just your presence here changes the atmosphere of this place. Yeah. I said that wasn't for you guys. You were listening. It's true. And, and, and God is doing something amongst our teens. A couple of Sunday mor- or nights ago, Pastor Brad sent me a text. He mentioned this last week, but he, he sent me a text, and he, he, the text just simply said, hey, hey, Pastor, our, our kids are here at the church worshiping. We've been here for a couple of hours, and they won't leave. <laughs> Tell me that isn't God. I, I mean, a bunch of teens on a Sunday night who won't leave the church because all they want to do is worship? Tell me that isn't God. He he attached a couple of videos, and and I watched these videos, and I got goosebumps as I watched these young people just pouring their hearts out in worship to God, not caring about who else was in the room, not caring about what anybody else was doing, not caring about anything else, but just somehow expressing the love that they have in their hearts for the one who has saved them and created them and has a plan for their lives and is at work in their lives. It was just, I got goosebumps. It was incredible. I'm telling you, God is up to something. And then, and then what about our baptism services last week? Woo! Man, if that didn't light your fire, your wood's wet, man. <laughs> Seeing a bunch of people of all ages, young and old, publicly declaring, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I've submitted my life, I've given my life to Christ, and I want to serve him all the days of my life. If there's, if there's something better than that, I don't know what it is. And, and, and this, what we're experiencing here, and what we're, I feel like we're on the front end of, is, is it's not unique to us. I've talked to several other pastors, and I've witnessed it myself in other places. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, Laura and I traveled to Kansas City, and, uh, and we went to this, we attended this church that was like, it was, it was in the hood, man. I mean, it was in the hood. One of the, one of the roughest places in KCK. And we went into this church, and like half the church were gray hairs like me who grew up in, somebody say amen to that? But half the church were, were gray hairs like me, you know, who grew up in the church, been in the church all their lives. And, and the other half were like ex gangbangers and drug dealers and prostitutes and street people who had had this encounter with God and they had experienced complete deliverance in their lives. And I'm telling you, as we were in that service, I have never experienced more passionate praise, more fervent worship. I mean, I mean, the front row was not good enough for most of these guys. They were like, they had to be like right here down where the action was. They just couldn't get close enough. And, and, and it just blew me away, man. And, and, then, and then get this, a bunch of the guys, they got up and talked about how a bunch of the guys, they were so full of what Jesus was doing in their lives that they just wanted to give away to other people what they'd experienced in their own lives. They, they just wanted to, a bunch of these guys, they, they just wanted to go out. They, in fact, they were going out after the service just to go in their neighborhood and find people that they could serve in some way. 
Find some seniors who needed some yard work done and just do the yard work for them. Just in the name of Jesus. Find some people who are homeless who needed a meal and, and provide a meal for them in the name of Jesus. Go to some houses of some single moms who needed their gutters cleaned out. Whatever it was, it didn't matter. Just some way that we can give back and serve in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, something's happening. And I just sense it in my spirit that we are on the verge of a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the devil knows it's coming. He doesn't know who the revivalist is. He, he doesn't know who the worshipers are. He doesn't know who God is going to raise up as, as an evangelist. He's not sure who the healer is going to be. He, he doesn't know exactly who the people are who are going to get bold and invite their friends to church. Got some empty seats here. He doesn't know who's going to do that. He, he doesn't know who's going to preach the gospel. Who, he doesn't know who's going to give the words of prophecy. And so his strategy is because he doesn't know, he just wants to take everybody out. This is what's happening in Egypt. That there's a deliverer coming. And the devil knows it. He's not sure exactly who it is. And so what he does is he creates this fear in Pharaoh's heart and he plants this idea in his mind, kill all the baby boys. Just take them all out. Can, can I just tell you this morning that the enemy's strategy has not changed one bit. He, it, just, it hasn't changed. He, he doesn't know everybody's future, but he does know what God is like. He does know that if our kids surrender their lives to Jesus, he knows that if they get full of the Holy Spirit, he knows that if they begin to get a taste of the love and the power and the beauty of God, then he knows that our kids will become an incredible threat to his kingdom. And so he wants to take them out early. That, that's his plan. You know, if he can just get them exposed to, to drugs or alcohol at an early age. If he can just get them hooked on porn, if he can get them sucked into gangs, if he can infiltrate the schools and get the schools to teach that there's really no such thing as, as any moral standards and everything is just kind of relative and there's really no absolutes in the world. And so what's, what's good and right for you may not be good and right for everybody else. If he can just take them out when they're young. Listen, adults in this room, Parents in the room, this is why it is so imperative. Man, it is so important. We need to constantly cover our kids in prayer. Constantly. We, we need to pour over them in prayer. We need to provide a covering around them in prayer. We need to intentionally build into them spiritually. This is why we believe it's important. You know, I'm, I'm all for soccer and baseball and gymnastics and piano. All of those things are fine and awesome and great. But above everything else, we need to invest first and foremost in our kids' spiritual development. Scripture says, what is it if a man gains the whole world? What is it if they become a pro baseball player? 
What is it if they become a concert pianist? What is it if they become an Olympic gymnast? What is it if they gain all those things and, let you, and yet lose their soul? Man, we got to invest in the spiritual development of our kids. And as a church, we believe in that. That's why we push things like camps and retreats and NYC. And this is why we've invested a significant amount of our budget to bring in a full-time youth pastor and full-time children's pastor. Yay, God, for our youth pastor and children's pastors, right? Let's support these guys. Let's equip these guys. Our kids need it. And so we, we really believe in that because, because whether, we, we just gotta, man, we gotta build into these kids because who knows how God is gonna use them. I mean, who knows who God wants to raise up and impact an entire generation. The, the devil knows that this is what God wants to do. And what's ironic about this story with Moses, and I love this because I think that God has a way better sense of humor than we often give him credit for, because here the devil is, he's trying to kill the deliverer, and God is like, I think I'll just hide him in your house, and I think I'll let you pay for his education and his upbringing. He, he puts him right in the, the palace, and so the devil in, in, in Pharaoh's house winds up educating Moses at his expense. He raises Moses, gives him the finest education that is possible in the land at the time. And so here's Moses. He's benefiting from all of the wisdom and all the resources and all the opportunity that Egypt has to offer. And God makes the devil pay for it all, man. Only God can do something like that. So cool. I love that. And then one day God stirs something in Moses' heart. Mo Moses has grown, and, and he, 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 he realizes, you know, I'm, I'm kind of insulated here in the palace. I'm kind of isolated from the rest of the world, and I don't really understand all the pain that the people I'm called to deliver are actually going through. Which, come on, man, that's a sermon within itself. Sometimes we, we need to step out of our little Christian bubble and we need to get out of our little isolated Christian church world in, in order to make sure that we actually understand what's taking place in the rest of the world, in the culture, right? We need to get outside the walls of this place. And we need to experience the pain and the, 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 the loss of hope and everything else that so many are experiencing. Because whether you realize it or not, and you guys, if you've been around a while, you've heard me say this, but... but those people out there, they are not our enemy. Some of you agreed with that. Some of you aren't sure about that. Those people, they're not our enemy. Those people are the people we're called to love. Those people are the people we're called to serve. Those people are the ones that we're called to share the same message of hope and freedom and deliverance that somebody cared enough to share with you and me. And so uh, Moses, he, he, the moment he steps out into this isolated, out of his isolated little bubble, and he sees the plight of the people, there's something that just kind of grips his heart. 
which I'm, I'm telling you, that's what happens if you'll just get out there. Moses sees this Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, and all of a sudden, this, this, what God has already placed within him. But I want you to understand this morning, God has already placed things within you that you don't even realize is there. Whatever it is that he's called you to do, you may not even know it, he's already placed it in you. Later in the story, if you read through, later like it gets around Exodus chapter 30 something, something like that, when the children of Israel have been delivered, they're out in the the desert and God is telling them, hey, I want you to set up a tabernacle for me, a place where you can worship me. And he gives them all the instructions. It's really cool. I caught this a couple of weeks ago when I read this, never caught it before, but God says, I want you to, and I can't pronounce the guy's name don't even remember it this morning, but he's like, I want you to grab this guy to help you do these curtains that are going to hang in the sanctuary. But what grabbed me was he said, because I have already placed within him the wisdom and the skill to do what I've called him to do right here. He's already placed that within us. And so this has been placed inside of Moses. He sees this Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, and all of a sudden, this thing that God has placed in him to be a deliverer rises up within him. Now, the problem is, Moses hadn't, hasn't had anybody to teach him what to do. And so he does the wrong thing. He, he winds up uh, meeting violence with violence and actually winds up killing this Egyptian. And so now Moses is a murderer. He's a wanted man, and so Moses is running for his life, and he finds himself out in the middle of the desert. He's had all these dreams that he thought God had given to him, and he he had, you know, he believed he had this call from God on his life to be used in a mighty way, but things haven't worked out the way that he thought they would, and so now he's a fugitive on the run. And and so, like, like probably some in this room, he just gives up on the dream. He, he just does what everybody else does. He, he, he finds a good woman. He settles down. He has some kids. He, he moves into a nice three-bedroom tent. He starts working on his career. He starts thinking about retirement. And this is where the Lord finds Moses in Exodus chapter 3. One day Moses is out just doing what he does. He's taking care of his sheep. When all of a sudden he notices something, he looks off and he sees this bush that's on fire. But it's not burning up. It's like this burning, non-burning bush. And so it captures Moses' attention. And as he approaches this bush to take a closer look, all of a sudden there's this voice that speaks to him out of the bush. This we're going we're gonna to pick the story up in verse 4 of Exodus chapter 3. It says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. You jump down to verse 10. God says, now I want you to go Because I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and you will lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Now, when I read stories like this, I um, I have a tendency I I I visualize them, and and I kind of 
I kind of like to fill in the blanks just to help me imagine the story. And I don't know if you ever do this or not, but, but, but I, I imagine the parts of the Bible that aren't written in the Bible. And so, um, you know, give me some liberty on this. Don't be flipping through your Bibles and going like, I'm not seeing here this anywhere in my version of the Bible. But uh, give me a little liberty. But in my holy imagination, I, I kind of think about, you know, I wonder what the conversation would have been like after Moses encounters this bush that doesn't burn, it's burning but it's not burning, and he goes back to tell his wife about it. I wonder what that was like. I mean, it's like, come home, it's like, hey, hon, how was your day? Anything unusual happen? Well, uh, yeah, actually, um, I, I, th I think I might have heard God speak to me today. God spoke to you. Yeah, I, I think so. And um, what was it that you think you heard God say? Well, I, um, <clears throat> I think he wants me to go back to Egypt. I mean, you remember that whole thing that I told you about before we ever met, like how, um, you know, there was kind of this stirring within me, and I felt like God had great plans for my life, and he was calling me to make a difference in the world, and I, 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 kind of, I just felt like I was called by God to deliver my people from slavery, and, 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 I, and I tried, but it didn't really work out at the time, and I, I don't know, I think, I think God might be calling me back to that. His wife was like, uh, wow, Mo, that's, um, that's big. I, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I remember right, aren't you like still wanted for murder back in Egypt? Moses is like, yeah, that, that's, that, yeah, you're not wrong about that. I am, I'm pretty sure. And, and Moses' wife is like, well, isn't, isn't, um, isn't Pharaoh the one who wants you dead? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, that's what he told me before I ran. I can't imagine anything's changed. And uh, he was pretty ticked off about the whole murder thing. And his wife was like, well, I, I just want to make sure I'm hearing you right. Um, so this is your plan. You want to go back to the place where they want you dead to speak to the guy who has the power to make you dead to tell him to do what you already know he ain't never going to do. That's your plan? Yeah, um, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, I think that's what God told me. So that's what God told you, huh? Okay, so, so how exactly was it that God spoke to you? Because I've been around a long time, and I've never actually heard the audible voice of God. And you're saying that you did, so just tell me, explain to me, how is it that God spoke to you? Well, that's kind of the funny thing, honey. Um, you see, I was out doing what I do. I was taking care of the sheep. I was doing my job. And all of a sudden, I looked over and I saw this bush. You saw a bush. Yeah, I saw a bush. And, and this bush, it was burning, but it wasn't really burning. And so, um, you know how much I like fire. I went over to check it out. And uh, all of a sudden, this bush talked to me. The bush talked to you. Yeah, the bush, the bush spoke. And the bush said that I was supposed to go back to Egypt and set my people free. And I'm, 
I'm pretty sure that the bush was God. Um, and so I, I think I'm going to go. Most of you wives would be like, uh, are you sure you weren't smoking that bush? <laughs> so God tells Moses to go. And immediately, when God gives this command, he gives this invitation, he gives this commission, Moses' own butt gets in the way. Moses actually makes three butt statements that, um, they, these, these, they actually stem from his own insecurities. And uh, I, I'm convinced that these are not unique to Moses. And so... Um, I just want to kind of go through these really quick, but every time one of us, I believe every one of us actually struggle with each of these insecurities, and if we don't deal with them, then the results are going to be the same. Our own butts are going to get in the way. And so in verse, chapter 10, or in verse 10, God tells Moses, he says, I want you to go, and immediately Moses is like, okay, God, but who am I to appear before Pharaoh? I mean, who am I to lead an entire nation out of Egypt? The, the first but that each of us have to overcome, the first lie of insecurity is this. It's, man, I'm not valuable enough to do what you call me to do. I'm not valued. I'm not, I mean, who am I? I'm not good enough. I'm a nobody, God. You don't understand. I got you. I mean, you don't know my history. I got too much junk in the trunk. I, I got this long history of mistakes. Like, I killed a guy. I'm a murderer. I'm not qualified to lead anybody. Who am I? Hey, I want you to understand this this morning, just so we can get it out of the way. None of us are qualified. Nobody here is qualified. The truth is that, that none of us are qualified to do anything that God has called us to do apart from grace. L listen, on my own, I'm not qualified to stand up here and preach to anybody apart from grace. I, I haven't lived a perfect life. I, I've blown it. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans that every single one of us are sinners. And so every single one of us have fallen short of God's perfect standard. In other words, on our own, none of us are good enough. We're all guilty. Everybody here is guilty of, of something. Everybody, we're, we're all guilty of lying and cheating, guilty of substance abuse, guilty of some form of addiction in your past. We've all made decisions that have hurt ourselves and hurt other people. And we all tell ourselves that, you know, because of those things, I'm just not qualified. I'm not good enough. I'm not valuable enough. I'm unworthy. I'm not the one you're looking for, God. You could... You could never use somebody like me. And sometimes, for some of us, it's not even the things we've done, but it's the things that have been done to us. So, some of us have been abandoned. Some of us have been abused physically or sexually or emotionally. And the enemy tries to convince us, this is the lie of the enemy, is that you are unworthy, you are damaged goods because of what happened to you, and so God cannot use you. Lie, lie, lie. Verse 12, God hears Moses, and he responds. He simply says this. He says, Moses, I will be with you. 
I, I will be with you. If you're, if, you're, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Every time the enemy tries to tell you, you don't have the right stuff, you're not good enough, I want you to tell him, oh yeah, God is with me. God is with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says this. says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and the Holy Spirit lives in you? The Holy Spirit actually lives inside of you. Now, now, this is so significant, and if you could just wrap your brains around this, it will change your entire life. The fact that God is with you carries amazing value for your life because sin separates us from God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. That word for death in the original Greek is a word that literally means separate, separation. And so track with me on this. Because of sin, you and I are separated from God. The only thing that can atone for sin is a blood sacrifice. And so in order to get close to God, we would have to die for our sins. But the problem is you can't get close to God if you're dead and you died in your sin, which would separate you from God. But we can't get close to God when we're alive because we're sinful. Can't get close to God when we're dead if we die in our sins because we're sinful. So you see the problem? Sin has put us in this situation that we cannot fix on our own. The only solution would be if someone who had never sinned would step in and pay the price so that you and I could be forgiven for our sin and so that we could be free of the power and the penalty of sin. And that's exactly what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. He sent his perfect, sinless son to die so that you and I could find life. Listen, the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you is only because Jesus gave his life for you. And I want you to try and do this. Try and put yourself in God's position for, for just a moment because it'll help you understand how much God loves you and how valuable you are to him. That There are some of you here today and like, you know, you really get the whole servant thing. You're not living for yourself. You understand the gospel, you really love people to the point that there are some in this room, I believe a whole bunch of people, who would actually give their lives. You would die for somebody that you love. I believe there are a bunch of people in the room who would do that. And then there's, there's also a few here today, maybe like one or two, who, I mean, you are so world class. I mean, you are so much like Jesus that, that if it came to it, you would actually lay your life down, not only for somebody that you loved, but you would actually give your life for somebody who hated you. Maybe a couple people here would do that. I mean, somebody who talked about you, somebody who tried to hurt you, somebody who went after you. There may be one or two in this room who are, who are that good. But I'll tell you what. I'm willing to bet that there are like zero people in this room who would allow their child to be killed for their enemy. Listen, that's what God did for you. While you were still enemies of the cross, God sent his 
son to become a perfect sacrifice so that you could be in relationship with him? Well, you are enemies. Come on, that's how much God loves us. And then we have the audacity to say, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm just a nothing. I have no value. And I think God hears that and he's like, come on, man. What are you talking about? Are you kidding me? I gave Jesus for you. You want to know how valuable you are? You're worth Jesus. That's how valuable you are. Exodus 4.1. Moses protests again. He says, but what if they don't believe me? I mean, what if they don't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? I mean, come on. The Lord never appeared to you. The the second but or lie of insecurity is that I I just won't be accepted. I'm just not accepted. I mean, other people aren't going to, they're not going to accept me. I mean, you know, it's, it's great, God, that you can forgive my past, and it's awesome that you can set me free and you can redeem my life. That is wonderful that you think I'm valuable. But other folks, they aren't going to accept me. If you're taking notes, write this down. Who is your they? Who is the, the they in your life? Because there's a spiritual principle that's attached to this, and it's fascinating. In Moses' journey, if you go back to his story and you read through it, after he kills the Egyptians, the very next day, he goes out and he sees two Hebrews fighting with each other, and he says to them, brothers, we shouldn't be at odds with each other. Uh, we're like on the same team here. And they look at him, and they're like, who in the world are you to tell us? What we ought to, who has appointed you as judge over us? Like, like, like we, don't, we don't want your leadership in our lives. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And here's what's interesting is that all it took were two people to say, we don't like you, Moses. We, we don't want you leading us. And it was the opinion of two people that so marked Moses' life that he's ready to throw away his entire call because of the opinion of two people. And I just wonder this morning, how many here have been carrying a they in your own heart? They They don't like me. They won't listen to me. They won't follow me. They don't think I have what it takes. And the reality is you're limiting your God-given potential based on the opinion of like two people. Not knowing that there is an entire nation that lies on the other side of your obedience to God. Because I can tell you, man, if I've heard it once, I've heard it. A thousand times in my, I'm, I'm 16, almost 17 years of doing this. And, and, and I've heard it tons of, you know, oh, pastor, they're all upset about that decision you made. And they're all going to leave. And, and usually the they is like one or two people. Most often it's the person that's standing in front of you and they don't have the guts to say I, so they say they. And I've also learned over time that pastoring, in fact, this is true of leading, making a difference in any way. This is true of parenting. It's not supposed to be a popularity contest. 
Amen, Doug. That's good. It's not. Listen, in order to be a good leader, no, no good leader leads with the end goal of trying to make everybody like them. You've you got to understand this. Anytime you lead, there is always going to be somebody who isn't going to like some decision that you've made. And the truth is, if every decision that you make is based solely upon trying to please everybody, then you're just setting yourself up for a lot of frustration, a lot of disappointment. I mean, what's the old, the old saying is, you can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time? Somebody else said, unless you give them ice cream, then maybe you got a chance. <laughs> Listen, my point is, don't let the voice of one or two people, that, that coach, that parent, that teacher, who at one point in your life said something that impacted you and who, it, it impacted your identity. Don't let them keep you from the destiny that God has for your life. Listen, what God says trumps what anybody else says. What he says trumps what anybody else says. Verse 15, God says to Moses, okay, Moses, say this to the people of Israel, that the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. In other words, what God is saying is he's like, they, they may not understand your call, but you need to understand that they are not the ones who called you. And so jot this down. The solution for I'm not accepted or I'm not valuable is, hey, God chose me. God, God, God picked me. I mean, out of all of the people on this planet that God could have sent, God actually picked me. He actually sent me. You see, I'm convinced that if we could just live with this one reality in mind, that God chose you. God picked you. He, he, he loves you. And so he picked you. And God has a purpose for your life. And if you'll just stay submitted to God, and if you'll just listen to his voice, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you, and then you obey whatever it is that he commands you to do or tells you to do or leads you to do, no matter how crazy it may seem in the moment. And I'm telling you right now, if it's God, more often than not, it'll seem crazy. But if you'll just follow him and do it, I'm telling you, you will be blown away by what God will do in and through you. I'm chosen. I'm sent. Last one, chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses pleads with the Lord. He says, but I'm, I'm just not very good with words. I mean, I'm not a good talker. I get tongue-tied. I just, I'm not very good with words. Excuse number three is I'm just not gifted enough. I don't have the right gifts. I mean, God, it's great you can forgive my past. It's awesome you can forgive me favor with people. But God, I just don't have the right tools to do what you're calling me to do. I don't have the right knowledge. I didn't attend the right school. I'm not talented enough. Listen, every time... The devil tries to tell you, you don't have the gifts. Understand that he is nothing but a liar. That is his native tongue. He can't speak any other language but lies. And so he tries to convince Moses that, hey, you're not a good enough speaker. Lie. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, it says that Moses was educated on all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was what? powerful in speech. 
Some people think that Moses may have had a stuttering problem. So Moses allowed that to say, well, I can't, I can't, go, I can't go talk to people because I stutter. I'm here to tell you, some of the most powerful speakers I've ever heard are people who carry some sort of disability. It doesn't limit the power of their speech. Moses was convinced, just because I have this, God can't work through me. And it was a lie. I, 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 Moses, what he had done is when what he was allowing the, the enemy to do is because Moses had made this mistake in his life, he was allowing the devil to convince him that he was a mistake, which, which makes him think, I'll never have the ability to be able to do what God has called me to do. Can, can I just tell you this morning, there is a big difference between your worst mistake and who you are. None of us should be defined by our worst mistake. The reality is every single one of us have fallen short. We've all made mistakes, but, but, but it's, it's, that's something that you did. It's not who you are. So, some of you need to hear this this morning. You are not an addict. You are not an alcoholic. You are not a victim. You are not a liar. You are not a thief. You are not an adulterer. You are not your greatest sin. You are not what has been done to you. You are not a victim. You're not what somebody else said about you. Scripture says if you are in Christ, this is who you are. You are a child of the king. You're sons and daughters of the Most High. You're co-heirs with Christ. And so when Moses says, I'm not a good speaker, he, he's not just forgotten who he was, but he's forgotten who he's talking to. He's forgotten the fact that whoever God calls, he'll equip. He's forgotten that it's not even by our might or our, by our power. It's by the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. He's forgotten about that, that moment when the Holy Spirit first spoke to him. He forgot about that word that God gave to him in that moment when he was just in communion with him and he was reading the Bible. He forgot about how God touched his life when he was in worship. He, he forgot about the miracles that God had already done in his life. He forgot about how God had set him free. See, the devil knows that if, if he can... If he can erase our memory of the goodness of God, if he can get us to forget about all the past times that God has been good in our lives, if he can get us to forget all the things that God has done for us, then he can make us believe that we'll never be able to do whatever it is that God is inviting us to do. So I love what God says. He simply says to Moses, I'll help you. I'll help you speak. I'll teach you what to say. So write this down. Whenever the enemy tries to convince you that you'll never be able to do whatever it is that God has called you to do, you just remind him, God will help me. God will help me. He, he's promised to help me. God will teach me. God will be with me. God will show me. In John chapter 14, Jesus says that one of the things the Holy Spirit will do is that he will teach us all things. That, that's one of the benefits of having the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He's a teacher. He's a helper. 
Listen, if you, if you think for one moment that, that Laura and I are smart enough or talented enough or experienced enough to lead this church, I, I hate to disappoint you, but we are not. We're just not. I mean, we, we got to have the Holy Spirit help us. We, we got to ask him each and every day to teach us. We, we got to trust that each and every day he's going to lead us. We got we to gotta ask him to help us to know how we're supposed to do whatever it is that he wants us to do. And, and we've got to do that every single day of our lives. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. So, some of you may want to write this down. Who I am is less important than who lives in me. Who I am isn't as important as the one who lives in me. And, and if you've invited Jesus into your life to be the forgiver of your sins and to be the leader of your life, I want you to know this morning, he actually lives in you. He lives in you. And his promises, I help you. Whatever it is that you have to face, I help you. Whatever it is that you have to deal with, I help you. Whatever it is that I call you to, I help you. I'll be with you. Man, is there any other promise that is greater than that? I'll help you. I'll be with you. I, I, I want you to know this morning that I believe with all of my heart something is happening. And I believe that God wants to use every single person in this room. Doesn't matter how much junk is in your trunk. I'm telling you, God is a forgiver. God is a restorer. And God specializes in mending and healing and working through broken people. Which, come on, that's all of us, right? I mean, the reality is every single one of us have been broken by sin. And so we're all in the same boat. We all need a Savior. And if you're here this morning and you've never taken that step of faith to invite Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and leader of your life, I never want to end a service without giving you a chance to do that. And so I, I want to just take a moment to pray this morning. And, and I, I want to pray not only for those who want to receive Christ, but I, I also want to pray that for anybody here who has allowed any kind of but to creep into your life and to get in the way of, of you just stepping into the promises that God has for you and the destiny he has for you. Because I'm convinced we're in a season right now where God is calling and he's commissioning a whole bunch of people. And here's the cool thing. It ain't the people that anybody else would pick. That's, that's who Jesus is. And he's calling a whole bunch of people to be a part of his mission in healing and restoring and redeeming a lost and broken world. That's what he wants to do. And he wants to use us to be kind of a deliverer, to be part of his mission and just set a bunch of people who are in bondage free. I want you to know he chose you and he wants to send you 
all he wants from you is your yes. And so this morning, I want every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. And if you're here and you've never taken that step of faith, you've never invited Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, we're not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to make you stand up or come forward. This is a personal decision between you and Jesus. If you want to just pray that prayer, and, and as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you'll just, just let me know, hey, I'm praying this with you, just quickly, just lift your hand up real quick. Put it down, yeah. Lift it up and put it down. Just include me in this, Pastor. I'm in, man. Yeah, yeah. Today, Father, we come to you, and I just invite those who are here and want to receive you to just make this prayer in the quietness of your own heart your own. That Jesus, today... I just acknowledge, I confess, I, I, I just proclaim that I need you. I need you. I, I realize I can't save myself. I can't fix myself. If I could, I would have already. But what I really need is you. And so today, if, if what Pastor Doug is saying is true, then I want that. I want you to forgive me of my sins, to give my life purpose and meaning. And so I surrender all to you. I give you my sin. I confess, I've blown it, I've hurt people, I've hurt myself, I've, I've just done things. And I give all that to you, I ask you to forgive me. I ask that you would take me, you can have my whole life. Show me how to follow you. You prayed that prayer this morning, the Bible says that Jesus will answer that prayer. <laughs> that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we ask. And so I want you to know today that you're forgiven. You've been given a new name. You've been given a new identity. You're a new person. The old has passed away and behold, everything is new. And this morning, Father, we celebrate that. We also ask today that there are some of us today who, like Moses, we've just fallen into that trap and We've allowed the enemy to whisper those little words of insecurity in our minds that I'm just not valuable enough. I'm not good enough. I, I, people aren't going to accept me. They're not going to follow me. I just don't have the right gifts. I've blown it too bad. And, and we've, we've allowed all of those buts, all of those reasons why we can't do what you've asked us to do to get in the way. And today, we just reject all of that junk. We give ourselves to you. We're thankful today that we are loved. We are accepted. That you've promised to be with us. You'll never abandon us and never leave us. That you'll help us. That you'll lead us. That you'll teach us. You'll never call us to anything that you won't provide the resources for us to do. And so today we just say yes to you. I just invite you in the quietness of your heart. Some of you might want to say it out loud. I don't, I don't care. Just say yes. Yes. We say yes to you. Send me. Use me. Whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. And all God's people said, amen.